You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Hey, wow. You know what? The imagination now. Everybody has changed. Now they're getting so uh, creative in terms of their thinking and what they can do. Man, it's, it's, this is the best I've seen. Yeah, when you jump that damn high, you got a lot of time to pick up the floor. Reza dropped down. Kobe! And welcome back to Hardwood Radio. Last night, the national championship game, the end of March Madness, and a game to remember, Ben. What a buzzer beater! by Villanova, who beat North Carolina. Yes, sir. Uh, it was very uh, short and buzzer-beater this year. Usually, it's a very buzzer-beater-friendly tournament. Um, this year, uh, not so much, but it was a, a wonderful ending to a very surprising and uh, unnerving tournament. <laughs> very unnerving, especially if you... Put a little bit of money on your bracket, and on day one, your bracket was busted because we all looking at you, Tom Hizzo, Michigan State. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're going to the Hall of Fame. What happened this year? Anyways, <laughs> it was a great tournament with a lot of upsets, a lot of great teams like Syracuse having a deep run, but Villanova is probably the one team that nobody expected to become national champion this year. Uh, no, and uh, there's a reason for that because uh, Jay Wright runs a relatively clean program. Uh, I'm very happy they won because uh, they are, um, you know, uh, in um, in recruiting, uh, there's a lot of uh, dirty business going on. And every coach, every college coach seems to have a scumbag side and a lot of skeletons in their closet. But Jay Wright, uh, he, ha- he was only uh, sanctioned for one thing. I think it happened in 2009. And he's the one that uh, declared himself to the NCAA. It was something stupid. Uh, something he should have never been sanctioned for, but it speaks volume uh, about the guy. Now, the game in itself, it was a weird type of game, but the final two minutes been really crazy, even the last 10 seconds. And eventually, Villanova got the lead with about maybe a couple seconds left. Carolina couldn't get possession enough. There was 0.4 seconds. The ball went out. There was nothing they could do. And eventually, Villanova is a world is a national champion. Uh, yeah, Villanova basically adjusted wonderfully well in the second half. Um, the uh, um, Jay Wright sent two guys at Marcus Page and squeezed them in. And for some reason, uh, he, the ball was not getting to Bryce Johnson in the in the front court. Uh, I don't know why Bryce Bryce Johnson was so underused by Coach Roy Williams, but he's been the lead force if. Uh, of a UNC all tournament, and for some reason, uh, he was locked out. I think Villanova played great defense, but he could have helped more if he would have actually gotten the ball. But uh, UNC decided to live and die by Marcus Page, and despite Page's best, most spirited March Madness-like effort, they came up short. Let's just go back to the final four here for a second before, because we didn't talk since last week. And the final four are one of our favorite team of this year's tournament, Oklahoma, with Buddy Yield basically laid an egg. And their worst game in the tournament at the worst possible time 
in the final four with the loss to Villanova, which propelled them to the, the the final game. So how disappointed were you with Oklahoma's performance in the final four? I was disappointed, but honestly, it was such a beating. It was such a brutal beating by Villanova. Um, uh, once again, it was a great coaching uh, job. Uh, Jay Wright identified that uh, Buddy Hield, Jordan Woodward, and Isaiah Cousins had to be chased from the uh, three-point line, and they were hunted. They were hounded all evening long. It was uh, it was daunting to see if you were rooting for Oklahoma. I'm just congratulating myself that it was not. Uh, it was I did not put any money on this on this game because I would have lost big. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it was a type of a tournament as a whole, which was the case. Now, you're talking about Jay Wright and the great coaching job he did. Mm-hmm. With a victory like this for the national championship with a smaller school, is it going to attract the attention of bigger programs? Will an example, if UNC decides to change their coach or whatever, eventually Coach K is going to retire, can a name like Jay Wright be, gain recognition with a tournament like Villanova had this year? It's a very good question. Um, Jay Wright pretty much achieved a godlike status to bre- in Philadelphia to breach, uh, to bring um, Villanova back to uh, their first title in 31 years. So I don't think he will leave for another program. But if the NBA comes and someone backs a truckload full of cash in his front yard that's going to be very difficult to say no to. I am thinking about the New Jersey Nets, uh, as I was discussing with Coach Shelby this morning. Uh, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, but honestly, like I said, he, he's a god in Pennsylvania right now. Jay Wright can do no wrong. He has a job for life. He's going to get a pay boost. Uh, it really depends what he wants to do. Uh, I don't think he will move from Villanova to any other uh, program. But the NBA... He might, uh, given given the uh, success of Brad Stevens with Boston, he might give it a shot if there's enough money involved. Now, the one question that I uh, comes to my mind when we're talking about a national champion college coach moving to the NBA is, well, you cannot put yourself in a situation that you're not there to succeed. What I mean is, if you're part of a team that's full of superstars and they like to play a certain way, your college coach is going to come in and not be able to build the right thing. Just look at David mm-hmm. Glide in Cleveland this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's basically the, the best example. But if you put Jay Wright in a situation with the Nets, in a team that's not necessarily built of superstars, but young players that need basically to be focused, to be taught how to play correctly, a new system of play, and that would be basically in the hands of Jay Wright. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure uh, how much how much guys like Brook Lopez and Thaddeus Young are, would buy into uh, this system, but they have a lot of young, hungry, unproven guys like uh, uh, Sean Kilpatrick, who's been killing it in uh, in his uh, since he signed his two-year contract, and Shane Larkin, uh, Thomas Robinson. I think it would be a, it would be a nice fit. Uh, I'm not sure he could replicate the same level of success because uh, he's a guy that doesn't really manage uh, egos a lot, but uh, it surely would be interesting to see. Now, the one question that I'm thinking is, mm-hmm. who do you gonna expect to be picked number one now? Does it really change for you? Is Buddy Heald, Ingram, or is it still Simmons? Did any of those players... <sighs> took Simmons' spot, or is Simmons still the number one uh, draft pick, you think? Um, 
if there were let, let's say Boston wins the uh, the uh, lottery, I think there's a strong possibility that they pick Brandon Ingram. Um, but now, uh, if you're talking uh, Los Angeles or uh, Philadelphia, who have both the best uh, mathematical amount of chance to win the lottery, these te- these two teams need sure talent. They need something to go right for uh, their franchise. So um, Ben Simmons sounds a little bit more like a sure thing than Brandon Ingram. I think Simmons going one, Ingram's going two, uh, Buddy Heels going Anywhere from four to six, and um, uh, yeah, uh, so I'm not convinced that Brandon Ingram is has done enough to beat uh, um, Ben Simmons to the count. But he's going to be an excellent player, and he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder for all his career because of that. Now, speaking of the draft, it's the beginning of the draft season where yes, everybody's sir. making their mug draft. Everybody's keeping an eye on who's getting what pick and who's going to pick where, depending on who finishes where, depending on, uh, this, like you mentioned, the Boston picks and the Lakers as well have something to say about this and the Nets and all their draft picks. So all those things combined, it's the beginning of draft season. What can you tell us about uh, what excites you in the next couple of weeks? Well, um, the first thing, first thing first, there's going to be uh, the combine in a couple of weeks. I think it's going to be in the mid-May. I don't know where it is this year. Last year it was in Chicago, uh, where every uh, young player is going to play against one another and they're going to compete in drills. Uh, it's custom for the top 10 players to sit out that portion of the draft. They're going to uh, they're going to do measurements next uh, uh, next uh, day. So we're going to uh, the geeks like me are going to find out who has the bigger wingspan, who has the bigger vertical who runs the three-quarter courts the, uh, the uh, fastest. So it's, it's a really geeky thing. But the week following that is going to be the uh, NBA lottery. So we're going to be finally fixed on the draft order. And then, yep, go ahead. What I was going to say is uh, for the combine, you mentioned that it's customary for the top 10 not to do the combine. And the, the explanation for this, in my experience, in all the other sports that I've covered, that has the case. If you talk about the NFL, Major League Soccer, all the big leagues or just leagues, they're combined, the top five, top 10, don't participate because, well, they have nothing to gain by participating. Mm-hmm. An example, if they did a better 40-yard uh, test for NFL or a better leap uh, high jump for the NBA a couple of weeks before in their own combine on the other testing, why risk doing a lower score? Mm-hmm. Why risk doing a worse score? So the risk is too high and the rewards is not there because if you're trying to be number one, it doesn't matter what you do in the combine. So that's the reason I expect that the top 10 are not doing the combine. Uh, yeah, they're not doing basically the uh, the skills uh, the skills uh, drills. They're not doing the uh, five on five, but usually not always. Um, maybe with one exception or two every year, everybody's doing the measurement. Everybody wants to get measured because everybody wants the team to have uh, their, the 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 real uh, measures of um, the the, uh. the real. Yep. What is it with boys and measuring who has the longest one? <laughs> talk about talk about arms here and wingspan, right? Yeah, uh, wingspan, uh, <laughs> height. A lot, a lot of time, you, 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 we find out at the at the combine that uh, guys are a lot shorter than they were announced to be. I think it was of Gary course. Harris. 
Of course you're gonna hype it up. Like, yeah, I'm six foot ten, dude. You're six foot seven. Stop wearing high heels. Um, uh, Draymond Green was uh is listed as six foot seven, and I combined he was uh six five and a half. There you go. Uh, Gary Harris, who was listed at six four, who which is as small as a shooting guard can get, he was six two and a half at the combine. So that hurt his draft talk a lot. So sometimes. Some of the prospects sit out the measurement too because of that, because they have uh, something to hide. Because their mother always told them, yeah, you're 6'5", six 6'5". Five, six five. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to measure it. I'm 6'5", whatever. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> that's interesting too. The behind the scenes of the combine are always interesting too because that's where you see who's actually in shape, who has a great personality because, uh, well, every camera's on you. You have to either exert yourself to a point where the VO2 max, depending which measurement mm-hmm. they're taking, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily easy and the character traits come out really easily. So it's a funny guy. He's going to do little jokes. If it's an intense, focused guy, he's probably going to be in the corner trying to regain his composure to make sure he doesn't lose in front of the camera. So combine <laughs> in itself is really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. It's, all, it's always interesting. We're, we're two obsessive, geeky guys. So not that and not, not everybody might be as interested as we are. But last two years, I've sat down in front of my screen for two days for six hours at a time on ESPN3 and I watched a combine. My the girlfriend benefit- thought I was... My I did the same. Thought it was brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same with like the uh, the NFL a couple of weeks ago on the NFL Network, <laughs> and I've been doing the same with the MLS online if, uh, until probably this year when I can attend live. So it's uh, very interesting to me. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's talk about teams that are eliminated. A requiem yes. for eliminated teams because well, there's a lot of them. All righty, let's start with Orlando. Yes, the Orlando Magic. Uh, they were brave. They were young. They were fearless, and they had a very weird coach. They tried. Made... They tried. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and they had a very weird coach who I think hasn't lost his uh, locker room already. He put Victor Aladipo, one of the um, one of the most uh, talented guy on the roster, on the bench. He made him start as a sixth man. Um, I think they are drifting right now, and there's a there is once again a leadership problem. Milwaukee, their biggest accomplishment in this season is being the first team to beat the Golden State Warriors in the 2015-2016 season. Outside of that, not a lot is going on in Milwaukee, right? No, they were. Uh, they allowed Jason Kidd to make very strange personnel decisions, like acquiring Mark, Michael Carter Williams for Brandon Knight, who's been tearing it up in uh, Phoenix, or, or signing Greg Monroe away from New York, which the Knicks fans are very thankful for. And um, no, nothing has went right for them. They have found out they can't really shoot. Um, they. Um, uh, but uh, in the last month or so, they had decided to play the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, at point guard. So basically, he's playmaking for the whole gang, which is a very clever way of hiding the fact that he can't shoot and having him being defended by guys who are six foot two. Giannis is six foot eleven and has something ridiculous like a seven five wingspan. So, <laughs> His wingspan is taller than the majority of human beings on this planet. Most likely, yes, and he's um, and he things are looking up. I think they should get more shooting, especially at the four, at the three, or at the four uh, in the draft. But <laughs> things are looking up for the uh, for the Bucks. A team that things are not looking up at all. New York. I think it's the fourth time, fourth year in a row they miss a playoff. Something similar to that. But New York Knicks, they're struggling again. 
I think it's the third year. Um, third year. So maybe uh, four out of five or something. 2012-13 was the last time they did the, they made the playoff, and they missed it for a couple of years before that. So um, the, the fourth time in five years, I think, is the headline yeah. that I saw. So, yeah. I, I think so. Um, the New York Knicks have started the season very well. They have found a gem in um, Curry Stapp's Porzingis. They have found their future. Um, they have seems to have hit a wall. Uh, I think there are some uh, health issues that were undisclosed here. Carmelo Anthony is playing like an injured guy. Um, they have a leadership problem too behind the bench. Uh, I don't know if you saw the last few games, but Kurt Rambis is completely out of control. He's playing everybody 20 minutes. He, he's making rotations that make no sense whatsoever. The players are confused. Aaron Laflalo is angry. He, see, he called out uh, management in an Instagram post. All hell broke loose. Please get a coach this summer, Phil. Phil <laughs> Jackson, get a coach. Get a real coach this or summer. Or go back to coaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be, that, the best. That would be the best solution is, Phil, just go behind the bench, will you? Just go he's, sit down on the court side. He's a 6'8", he's 70-year-old uh, man with fake hips, though, with, like, with, with surgically replaced hips. I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. Absolutely. Philly, a team that, yes, one of its biggest stars ever got introduced into the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about this later. But uh, is Philly finally the offseason where they put things back in perspective and together? Well, they sucked. They planned to suck. Uh, they suck with all their good, their, their best players on court. And now that they have all their best players injured, they are going to suck their way into uh, another early vacation. I, the, the question here is that, will they reach 10 wins or not? They are, I think, already uh, the proud owners of the worst season in the history of the NBA. Uh, they live... Through vicariously through the Holy Ghost of Joel Embiid. Will Joel Embiid ever play a game in the NBA? We don't know. Well, that, okay, that's the question. Will Joel Embiid finally make his debut for the 76ers before, like, maybe, maybe next year? Well, he's he's been in Qatar for eight uh, weeks or something. I think uh, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard because why why do you go rehab for basketball in Qatar? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we could ask the same question to Didier Drogba. So I I heard I heard to I heard through Sam Inky on Zach Lowe's podcast the, today that he was doing very well. Uh, maybe maybe he comes back next year if he if he's sure to come back next year. Maybe the, the, the Sixers draft Brandon Ingram and play him at three. <laughs> we'll see. The Nets. What can we wish for the Nets? Maybe, Jay Wright? Uh, shit. There's nothing really that the Nets can hope for. They're pretty in a pretty hopeless situation. Uh, I hope they get a godfather offer for either Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young and recuperate a first-round pick. That would help them immensely. And maybe if you move one of these two guys, get Jay right in, I, it, would, it would be the start of something new. But right now, they're, they're at the very bottom. They don't even have their pick this year. They, they have sucked for the most... They have sucked the most in like 10 years or so. And uh, Boston is going to reap the, reap the fruits. The Denver Nuggets. What can I, we wish them or what can describe their season? I love the Denver Nuggets this season. They are having another top 10 uh, 
pick uh, in the draft. I think they should go for Canadian fireballer um, Jamal Murray. I think he would make a great pair with uh, Emmanuel Moudier in the backcourt. They have Nikola Jokic. They have Yusuf Nurkic in the, the front court. They look good. Uh, they have been playing good. And just for them to find a way to keep Mike Malone and to keep the band together and to build upon it. The stars will come. Maybe they want to trade um, They want to trade uh, Kenneth Farid for another draft pick somewhere down the line. But what they have right now will work eventually. They just need to keep at it. Now, the Sacramento um, Spurs. Yeah, the Spurs. No, the Sacramento the, Kings. The Kings. I always <laughs> miss them. I think it's a five time in like 20 shows that I mix I, them up. Oh, because it sounds so good. Sacramento Spurs. It rolls off the tongue. But no. I, I have. The Kings. I, ha I have mixed them up for the, I think, the, ten, the first 10 years of my life. So there you go. <laughs> and uh, they, I, honestly, I don't wish them anything. They are perfect. Did you see? Uh, Rajon Rondo and um, Demarcus Cousins clap at the ref because because he made a bad call. They got teed, they, they got themselves teed up on purpose. Basically, I was laughing my ass off. It was great. Uh, I don't know how they can get better. It's a pretty chaotic situation there. Um, Coach George Carl George Carl is going to lose his job this summer. Uh, there's talks of uh, Demarcus Cousins being traded. I think it's the only logical solution to the demarcus cousins situation uh i don't wish them to get traded but i think it's past um it, it's past repair like this this situation is completely uh chaotic with uh, with boogie and maybe they should cash him they cash on him while they still have leverage now a team that for me is still hard to believe that they're called the damn pelicans in new orleans <laughs> It's not a sports name. Anyways, I'll stop rambling about the Pelicans. But New Orleans, what can we wish them outside of a brand new identity? You should watch uh, watch your videos <laughs> on YouTube of Pelicans. They're pretty mean. Bastards. I know. I, I actually did <laughs> see before, like on the National Geographic channel, like a pelican eating squirrels and things. And you see the pelican keeping the squirrel in its mouth. You see this, this, the squirrel trying to get away. But yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Uh, if it can't be mean, fine. But it just doesn't sound right. We can't wish them health. <laughs> uh, they are they are blown to pieces. They have spent uh, half of the year without most of their players. They don't have any of their regular players uh, healthy right now. Anthony Davis has been shut down for the year. Tyreek Evans has been has been shut down. Eric Gordon, uh, Ryan Anderson, uh, no, nothing works right now. So maybe a little uh, respite from the injury gods and. Um, maybe a little miracle for Drew Holiday's uh, legs. Drew Holiday has fished a couple games out of the jaws of defeat for them this year, but he cannot play more than 20 minutes a game because he has broken legs. Basically, he plays on broken legs. Yeah, that, that cannot be good. No. Minnesota, the T-Wolves with a very old Kevin Garnett. First of all, will he be back or will he retire this year? And will Minnesota make a push for the playoff with their young group core group. Um, he, Kevin Garnett should retire. Honestly, should have all. retired last year. Uh, I don't, I don't know if he wants to keep cashing his paychecks or, or something, 
but he's not he's not healthy. He hasn't been healthy all season. And I don't think there's much reason to continue. He can be an assistant coach. Shit, he can be the coach. They have a terrible coach in Sam Mitchell. They have a guy who is really, really doesn't have any cohesive vision on uh, the court. He's driving coach Shelby really, really mad. Uh, and I, I wish them a coach. I wish them a guy like uh, Jeff Hornacek or, or, or Jeff Van Gundy in order to uh, guide them into the uh, superior stage of their evolution. But with guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, it's a question of time before they make the playoffs. And if they play their hand very well, it's a question of time before they contend. Now, the Phoenix Suns, can they go back to their former glory? Are they very far away? Is it a busy half season for them? Um the Phoenix Suns are a very weird, uh, in a very weird situation because uh, their GM Ryan McDonough has gambled most of his assets away. He, they had a very interesting uh, chemistry with Gordon Dragic and Eric Bledsoe, but um, McDonough has been greedy. He has made trade. It didn't work out. And now they're in a bit of a no man's land. Devin Booker was a good surprise. I think he's going to man the two spot for about a decade or so. He's a bit of a poor man's Clay Thompson. I think he's scored like 30 points on average for all of uh, March. Um, they're going to have a top three pick this year. Um, they're, I'm expecting them to probably take Dragon Bender. I heard they uh, they visited um, Tel Aviv in order to uh, talk to the kid. And they're, they need to make a splash. They need they, they need to uh, they need to make something happen quick because uh, it was pretty disheartening what they went through for the last two years. Speaking of team to need to make a splash quickly, the team that will have the biggest overall and the biggest name probably in the not the history but the recent history of the game <laughs> retiring. The Lakers are going to lose Kobe in the offseason yeah. and probably a lot of other players. It's going to be probably a big overhaul for the Lakers. What can we wish the Lakers, or are they going to have their wish already because Kobe's leaving? Retiring um, is better than leaving. Yeah. Well, they're going to have a $25 million read on the cap space. <laughs> so that's going to help a lot of people. We're pissed at Kobe for like taking the money the, the Lakers had offered him, but... Who Why? Would take, like, who, I'll be honest here. Like, in the same situation, <laughs> we would all say, dude, you owe me money. I'm going to stay the one year to get that check. Are you kidding me? Pretty much. Pretty much what happened. But uh, I don't think they're going to attract um, many, um, many free agents. They are at a very uh, big risk to lose their first round pick this year again because if it falls out of the top three, they owe it to Philly. So Philly might have, let's say, number one and number four. Um, if I wish them number one, I wish them number one pick. I wish them Ben Simmons. I wish them to have maybe no, maybe even Brendan Ingram because he would be more uh, more of a franchise player than a Simmons, probably, right? He, uh, no, but he'd be more complementary to uh, D'Angelo okay. Russell. Uh, I, ben Simmons, the thing is, it's all potential. We don't know what the potential is because we have very rarely seen a player like this. Uh, Brendan Ingram, everybody knows what kind of player he is. Everybody knows what they would do with him. So um, it's the potential of Ben Simmons that nobody's really sure about yet. No, that would make sense. Mm. Right, before we move on to our prospect of the week, Ben, yes. the Hall of Fame was announced Monday, and I don't think it's a coincidence 
Shaquille O'Neal on Sunday is part of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on <laughs> WrestleMania, and the day after it gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, that is not a coincidence for sure. Oh no, but that was a very a Shaquille move. Uh, big guys, big guys in hey, NBA. He double choke slam someone with Kane. So uh, with Big Show, actually, double choke slam Kane with Big Show. There you go. But um, he, <laughs> it's a very Shaquille move. Uh, big guys in the NBA, they do whatever they want. Uh, they don't answer to anybody. And Shaquille is the big guy to end all the big guys. So he doesn't care. He he's a bit like he has a. a, a um, Post career that reminds me of Will Chamberlain. Will Will Chamberlain did whatever he wanted. So does Shaquille O'Neal. But the size of his shoes, I can live <laughs> in it. It could be my apartment. That's how my, big his shoes are. Twenty threes. But just the amount. Of, I think it's three cows for the amount of leather to just one sneaker for him. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, it's just... he, he's got um, he's got genocidal feet. <laughs> <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal is inducted into Hall of Fame. So is Yao Ming, Allen Iverson, and a couple of others. So let's just go with all oh, the name Jerry Reindorf, longtime owner of the Chicago Bulls, whose team dominated. So the owner of basically Michael Jordan's Bulls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheryl Swoops, three-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist, four-time WNBA champion and three-time WNBA MVP. One of the biggest names of the WNBA in history because, well, there was hasn't been a lot of stars coming out of the WNBA. Cheryl Soups has been one of them. And Tom Izzo, which we talked about a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, Ben, the coach of Michigan State, which he's been to the Final Four seven times, one in 2000. And uh, those are the name of the living inductee in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame uh, for our posthumous Zelmo Bidi, who spent most of his career in the ABA, averaging 17.1 points and 10.9 rebounds. Mm-hmm. Daryl Gerritsen, former referee. John McLennan, former coach who won three NIA NAIA championship. And Cumberland Posey, a star in the early 1900s, who is also in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So those are the names inducted. But uh, what do you think about the big names, about uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Yao Ming, and Allen Iverson? Am I the only one, or we're starting to feel old? Because it's guys we started watching when we were kids. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the only posthumous uh, nomination I know is Zalmo Bidi, which I read a book about uh, when I went on my vacation in Mexico. The others I don't know at all. Um, the big names, uh, Shaquille O'Neal was a surefire first round ballot. Uh, has to be, he revolutionized the big game game almost. Uh, he was, he was the most, I don't think I've ever seen a big guy who was so as physically dominant as his, as him. There was no, there was no, uh, centers that had this height, this weight, and this athleticism. Uh, he, uh, even the guys who scored more points than him, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Will Chamberlain, they were not as physically dominant on uh, the court. And it translated in, uh, uh, I think, four titles for Shaquille. It was is it, one of these players that we don't have so much anymore. That means if you have him on uh, your lineup, it means a championship for you. Exactly. It's a big name, too. Shaq from 1992 onwards mm-hmm. was a mainstay in the NBA in the media he became a brand I remember the god awful Shaq Genesis video game but Shaq Fu oh that was <laughs> so bad and the movie Shaq Attack oh, you know Kazam but so. Kazam oh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen but Shaq Attack you know the hack of Shaq oh, a lot of things Shaq revolutionized in a way yes. the NBA how it was per- perceived in the 90s and it was basically 
the you were talking about either Jordan and the Bulls or Shaq. So it's a big name, big importance. And Yao Ming, the f- biggest Chinese player ever while he was in the NBA. The China market was developed and it's all on him because it took in a dive since then. So a lot of things, Why reason, uh, the reason, I mean, why Yao Ming is inducted in the Hall of Fame and Allen Iverson. If it wasn't a practice... He was dead on. So when it was a game time, he was on, and that's why he's here too. Um, Jalen Rose caught a lot of flack in the media this week because he said that Yao Ming didn't have a place in the Hall of Fame. And I kind of understand what he's saying. Uh, Yao Ming had four very good seasons before his uh, gigantic stature caught up to him and started get, he started getting injured. Can you imagine uh, being one of his knees? Literally, like he got like seven feet ahead of you. Of course, you're going to break down eventually. Exactly. And he never brought his team to a championship, but it's a bit of a political nomination. Like the Asian market is developing. A lot of the Asian guys are absolutely in love with him. And I'm fine with him being in the uh, Hall of Fame. It's not, it's nothing sacred to me. I mean, at the end of the day, <coughs> championships are talking. And if he doesn't have any championships, well, he's not going to be as respected as Shaq or as any other. Uh, Allen Iverson doesn't have any championships, but he has been pulling a bunch of slugs in the playoffs year over year over year. And it's yeah, almost of as impressive. No, exactly. His performances dictated his place in the Hall of Fame. If we're talking about uh, MVP season, talking about taking a team that was not in the top of the NBA and making him a contender for mm. four or five years straight in the late 90s, early 2000s. So mm. those reasons are, that's enough for a player like Alan Iverson to make it to the NBA Hall of Fame. Because, uh, well, again, the uh, effect that he had on the league, type of player he was, mm-hmm. he revolutionized in a different way. He wasn't a clean player, he was a dirty player. He was trying to find advantages all across the court. So those players revolutionized in a way how basketball evolved in the last 20 years. He, um, You were talking about the um, uh, practice comments yeah. that, that he's made. There's a story actually behind practice that Gary Payton told uh, TNT. Um, he, was, he was shooting hoops with Gary Payton in a park somewhere. And, um, and Iverson's like, hey, Peyton, how do you keep so healthy over after 30? What is your secret? I'm, I'm starting to break down. And he said, the coach, which was George Carl back then, is like, he makes me skip practice in the morning so I can stay fresh for the games. And then next thing Peyton knows, uh, Iverson is going to practice. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, everybody's going to trace it back to me now. Uh, it's basically a misunderstanding between uh, Iverson and Gary Payton. Uh, like, I w- Alan, I didn't tell you to skip practice. I told you <laughs> to talk to your coach and then skip practice. Mm. You forgot to talk to your coach. Exactly. Uh, I wouldn't call um, Alan Iverson a dirty player either. Per se. He was a killer. He was, uh, because he was so small, he was, I think, 165 pounds when he came in the NBA. Uh, he basically tried to run over everybody uh, on his way uh, to the rim. I'll explain my dirty comment. What I just mean, probably not afraid of contact, not afraid of being the instigator of the contact, even though he wasn't necessarily called for offensive fouls. He was not afraid to get in there with his stature. You know, he was a small guy compared to the rest of his opponent. He was still getting in their faces. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. He was hitting a lot of guys in the balls because he was was almost at that same height. 
Uh, he elbowed a lot of guys. He was not afraid to jump over some guys. I think it was one of his most famous dunk was a putback dunk over Marcus Cam Camby in Toronto, and he rode the Camby like a horse afterwards. Uh, he was he was not he was not afraid of uh, letting the big guys know who were the boss. Now our prospect of the week to finish the show has always been. Yes, sir. This week, I thought I would have a prospect that belonged to the winning team of the uh, of uh, March Madness, but no. North Carolina uh, lost, so no. Run him uh, yeah, up. Yes, sir. Bryce Johnson, the senior, 22-year-old, so he is el immediately uh, eligible to uh, the NBA draft. Even if he retires from basketball, he'd be eligible anyway. He is... Uh, a very uh, interesting player, good on the offensive board, very oppressive physical presence on the old boards. He reminds me of Taj Gibson a little bit. Um, he is he gets to the rim, he can score. He's a sound uh, defensive presence too. He had he went toe to toe with Brandon Ingram this year. I think there's a video of their confrontation. On um, on uh, Draft Express, it was very interesting because he was able to stifle much of Brandon Ingram's attack. So he's a good player. Now um, this this year in the draft is it's very interesting because um, it's all all bets are off. We don't know what teams are going to be shooting for. Will they try to develop uh, project players per se or will they want a sure thing since the stakes are so low it's a very thin draft and uh, bryce johnson has been rumored to go as high as a uh, low lottery so uh, 13th 12th or uh, i think jonathan giovanni of draft express has him in the second round uh, i think he's good enough to be picked in the first round he's like there's what you know you're getting with uh um, Bryce Johnson is something that's going to help most NBA teams right away. So I think I think he's going to be uh, in the late teens, early 20s. He's going to be a first round pick, and he's going to be a productive NBA player. Maybe not, maybe not uh, Taj Gibson type of player because Gibson has a very is a very high character guy, and uh, Johnson's uh, maturity has been questioned many times. But uh, they have a similar skill set. So uh, they they might have a similar impact somewhere down the road. It's very interesting to me the all the draft process too. The fact that you mentioned it's a thin draft and the way mm -hmm. teams uh, prepare for a draft when it's a thin draft is different mm -hmm. too. Because when the draft is really stacked, mm -hmm. you have like twenty guys that can rival for number one. You don't necessarily decide. You wait till okay. There's this guy, this guy still remaining when it's your time to pick and you go with the best of those two. When it's a thin draft, you have to look at it differently. You have to go, okay, there's those guys remaining. Which one fits with the guys we already have? So just yes. the approach to the draft is very different when the draft is thin or actually very talented, uh, depending on the years. This year's thin. Maybe two years down the line, we'll come back to being a very talented draft. It depends. On, it's, it's a generation gap, usually, a different nation cycle. So it, it, we might be on the cusp of another one, but this year, like you mentioned, it seems like it's pretty thin. It's going to be pretty thin, and I, thought, I think that this year there's going to be no uh, draft the best prospect available. People are going to look for fit, like you said. They're going to look for addition to their teams. Uh, I don't think there's going to be that many project players in the first round. There's a lot of seniors 
this year that are ranked in the first round. So look out for a lot of seniors to get picked. And That's a big tell, right? When you have a lot oh, of seniors yeah. and not when you have freshmen and sophomores in the top 20, those kids are a little more talented. But when you get to seniors, yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. When the seniors, uh, when when the freshmen and sophomores and juniors stay in school, that's a tell that there's not that the crop is very uh, is very thin. There's a lot of players that haven't declared yet, um, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a very. Uh, I think we might we'll be lucky if we have like two all stars, two or three all stars that come out of uh, this crop. Ben, thank you very much for joining me as always for Hardwood Radio, and uh, well. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. <laughs>